And this is Canvas, a show about art and ideas created by a team of artists. We are broadcasting from the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation and we pay respects to our Indigenous listeners and their elders past and present. My name is Abdul Abdullah. My name is David Capra. And my name is Nat Randall. Thank you for joining us this Sunday morning. On the program we have, like always, a massive program. Oh, we've got multimedia artist slash robot maker, Wade Maronowski. We've got paper mache robot artist slash illusionist slash multidisciplinary artist, Simon Yates, <laughs> and environment-loving sans robot ceramicist, Tony Warburton. But before that, what have we seen this week? Oh, it's been a big week for um, prizes, right? Was it on, was it Friday night? Was the freeze? And the, and the Freedman. Freedman, and then... I don't know. There what was else? a third show downstairs, third show. which I, I <laughs> yeah, didn't no, get to, but I, oh, it, it was, looked amazing. No, it was a, it was a postgraduate show. Yeah, uh, which I'm looking forward to getting to Yeah, too many other so awards. So who won the John Freeze? Ah, uh, it was Kuba uh, Dora Bielski, and he had this... I, I've got to go back to see it, because it was about a 10-minute video work, and it was goddamn beautiful. Um, but, uh, yeah, it had this sort of incredible 70s um, aesthetic and nostalgia mm. around um, his, uh, I guess... A sort of version or a reinterpretation of his um, sort of yeah lineage to uh, yeah. <laughs> it's too early, it's isn't too it? Early. Anyway, you know, no. Well, he's been he's been working very hard, so it's nice to see him receiving an award, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, totally. And what the job freeze think? as well, which is like statistically the hardest competition yes. to get into, let alone win. So yeah, fantastic news for Cuba. It's um what I meant to say earlier. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you more. No, Tell us what. No, what... <laughs> it, it, it's about um yeah I guess his his lineage um from Poland and a sort of reinterpretation right. um of his of his family's migration and it's so funny and so beautiful and yeah it's it's a very well deserved um award statistically what is the percentage? It's like how many finalists? But there's about a thousand entries each year Holy and there's about crap. ten finalists. Oh, that's right. There yeah. was that big um Facebook. Um, um, debate around because you have to pay to get into it, oh, right? I miss and then that. the um, amount. Um, <laughs> I love a get. good Facebook argument, and yeah. I missed out. This is. <laughs> I think Ben Forster started that oh, one. Oh, what, like, that was what last year. Oh, was it was last year. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I was involved. <laughs> <laughs> and David, what have you been doing? Um, nothing much. I went and I watched a, a, a documentary last night. It's called What Happened to Nina Simone, and it was really beautiful. And she oh. had a really sad. Um, the, the end of her life was quite sad. I think she went to Switzerland, or is it Sweden? I, one of those places. <laughs> I actually, I actually morning. went to Sweden, and <laughs> well, I don't actually, still don't know which country it was. <laughs> I had to keep looking at um at my phone where I was. It was quite, and I still can't tell you if I where's Geneva. <laughs> Sweden or Switzerland? Oh, I've got the same problem. My partner's in Vienna at the moment. And right. I, I had to look up which country that was in because I'm. Yeah, total we, are yes. <laughs> we are so worldly. We are so worldly here. Um, <laughs> hey, we're going to get to our cu- curated tracks. Uh, this is um, our curated tracks by the fabulous Anna John, and this is Drunk at the Jazz uh, dub by Zanzibar Chanel. Thank you. 
That was Drunk at the Jazz Dub by Zanzibar Chanel. This is Canvas, Art and Ideas, with Absy, Randy and the Cap on FBI Radio. Our next guest, Dr. Wade Maranowski, is an academic artist and researcher specialising in environmental and emerging art forms, including robotics, emerging, uh, immersive and interactive installation performance, music and video. And we've just recently found out that the last time he was in the studio was in 2003, and he was a SMAC Award winner in 2009. Welcome to the studio, yeah. Wade. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome, Wade. Wade, can we talk about... Um, where it all began. So you've got a Ukrainian um, background, is that right? Yes. And the Ukrainian, because I, I was brought up by my Ukrainian babcha, my Ukrainian grandmother, and she, I think, is the reason why I make work, I think. I think because art is such at the heart of the, of the Ukrainian culture. Did it influence you at all as an artist? Well, my baba, as we call them, she was a big fan of kitsch. Yeah. So a collector yeah. of ornaments yes. with fake gold all over in display cabinets. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> and every time we went to her house, we'd just look at all those objects and 
try and hold them. <laughs> yeah. Did it influence you as an artist, do you think, having that around you? or There's definitely something in there that's something a bit wild and crazy, European. Mm. I'm not sure exactly what it is. And then in 2011, you went on to open Eastern Block with Nathan Harabetsky. Um What was that space about? And is there any memorable m- moments from that time? We took the space over from Agatha Gosnape and Brian... Fuwata? Fuwata. Yeah. And Mitch Kantz, who were living there at the time. Oh, yeah. And Nathan really wanted to open up a space. And because I had a little bit of experience with Imperial Slacks... Nathan uh, asked me to join and basically just wanted to share, you know, art within that community and environment close to SCA. And it was just such a beautiful building with those large open plan windows Mm. that face the street. Mm. Was there any memorable shows for you? Oh, well, the party was probably the best (laughs) when we had. (laughs) Always is. uh, Marty J had his big clown inflatable he was dressed as a clown and he had a big inflatable, crazy, I can't remember what it exactly was, but it was a big inflatable something. So uh, probably the first show was the art auction, and that was most memorable. Mm. We had Rennie Codger's auction off all the works. <laughs> oh, lovely. Wow, so that, was that brilliant. would have been... I think Rennie I'm needs to just... having with Rennie this afternoon, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Thank you, David. I am, yeah. Uh, Rennie needs to be the auctioneer, I think, for yeah. all art uh, fundraisers, I think. Um, I think so. Now, Wade, your your work's often obviously been aligned with robots and animatronics. Where did your interest in, in robots emerge? Yeah, that's a question that often comes up, and I've thought deeply about it. And I think it was when I used to go to squash with my mum as a kid, and breakdancing was big. And so she'd go and do squash, and I'd do breakdancing class. So I was doing <laughs> things like that, you know. The wave. He's doing the wave. The, doing the robot dance. For, for those was, that can't see him, he's doing the wave. <laughs> doing the robot dance as a kid was something integral to my upbringing. <laughs> I wasn't, <laughs> wasn't expecting that as an answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, I remember I was a, a volunteer uh, invigilator for your big project at Performance Space, the hosts, um, a masquerade of improvising animatrons in uh, 2009. And I remember each of them having their own personalities and often some of them would go rogue and just sort of perpetually just run into the, <laughs> run into the wall. Um <laughs> Do you consider personas uh, and gesture when you're programming robots? Yes, so there's been a few iterations since the hosts. We had the Aconchi robot, which is in the form of a shipping crate that follows people when they're not looking. And so I was playing around with the design of the robot there. So not being anthropomorphic or non-human is the approach that I'm taking now. And so in the most recent work, which is at Hazelhurst in Dream Machines, which is called Robot Operetta, originally Robot Operetta Carriage Works, they're just mechanics. And so the way that we humanise these particular robots is through the voice. Uh, you mentioned Robot Opera there, and I'm really keen to ask about it. Like, it's an immersive participatory experience involving robots and electronic music that was at Carriage Works in 2015. Can you talk us a little bit through this project and how it does it go into the Hazelhurst project? Yeah, so the Hazelhurst show is an installation version of of the performance, so they don't move around as much as they do in the actual performance, and it's less durational, so the performance is 30 minutes long, or was 30 minutes long. And I worked with um, uh, Branch Nebula for the dramaturgy and the lighting. I also worked with Julian Knowles for the composition. So we did a series of residencies. The first one was at Legs on the Wall with Performance Space. And then finally, it was part of the Liveworks Festival 2015. I remember um, seeing that intro. It was bloody phenomenal. Like in Bay Bay 17, the biggest yeah, the space in Carriage space. Works. Yeah. And just yeah. these goddamn robots coming at you <laughs> with this this sound. Oh, it was, yeah, it was terrifying and, yeah, quite elating. The robots themselves must have been pretty complex builds. Do you collaborate with engineers to build them? Yes, mm. so I do the prototyping and then work with electrical engineers, programmers. It was quite a large group of team of people that actually worked on Robot Opera, over 10 people. And you had a costume maker as well. For the hosts, yes. Her name's Sally Jackson. What's her? 200%. 
Amazing. Does she make things for the opera? No, so she works... Just robots. Independent just, artists. Just bots. <laughs> yeah. Just bots, not people. She said she loves working with the bots the most <laughs> because right. they don't complain or... Yeah. And they've just got one hip size. Yeah. <laughs> True. That's right. Um, our producer, Aurora, said that you met her mum uh, and you used to have a band practicing what is now her basement in Nowra. Uh, what was it like growing up in Nowra? <laughs> Sorry is to that, throw that. <laughs> is that true or is that false? Who's mum? Aurora, Aurora our, our producer over there. I don't That's remember meeting her mum, but I'm, I'm a <laughs> band practice. Anyways, yeah, I grew up in North Nowra. And it was amazing because my parents live across the road from a cliff and then the Shoalhaven oh. River. Whoa, so I'd wow. be climbing down and around the cliff along the river every day and climbing into clay, caves mm. and just being general bushman. Beauty. And it just opened up my imagination, I think. And, and like, well, last night, sort of in prep we're talking, but also just in general, I watched Blade Runner. Yep. And um, what do you think of the new Blade Runner? Is it a yay or a name from you? Oh, I actually Blade haven't seen out? it. Oh, it hasn't come out yet. Just have you seen the trailer? Uh, yeah, sequels, I don't know. You know, it's going to be really hard to match such a classic. Yeah, mm. it's going to be True. hit or miss. It's, yeah. <laughs> it's a tricky one. I'm a bit nervous to watch myself. And you've got lots of things happening, don't um, you? The last weekend for the show at Hazelhurst? No, no. Uh, Sydney Olympic Park. It's called oh. Mining Pirate. Pyrite. Oh. It's on next weekend. I've got a work there called Black Casino. First shown in Sydney. Um, I saw I, it in uh, at Tassie, 2013 for Monophoma. That's right. And Dream Machines at Hazelhurst, as mentioned. And then my new show coming up is at the Incinerator Art Space. Opens 7th of September. Don't go to Sydney Contemporary. Come to my show. <laughs> <laughs> Opening the same night. <laughs> yeah, crazy. <laughs> what are you going to be showing? I've got a series of new video works, six new video works. Oh. The show is called Algorithmic Paradolia. It's looking at when machine artificial intelligence will be able to questionably create art. And also got a new robot there that will play music, will play a MIDI controller. Wow. What's it's it a work, robot arm. What's it like working out in Sydney Olympic Park? Yeah. That's yeah, my insane. studio's there. It's Seriously. Pretty, it's a pretty insane place. Is to, that the former Olympic um, it's called like Newing, residences? It's called Newington Armoury. Yeah. It's an old Navy base. There's a series of old buildings where they have studios. So there's a wood shop, metal shop, and then a massive kind of where, space where everyone shares space. Oh, wow. Oh, how many artists are really there? really quiet. There's quite a lot of artists there. There's about there? 20 uh, yeah. spaces. That's fantastic. What? And there's a gallery as well and a cafe on the on the Parramatta River. Oh, I did not know about this. Sometimes you can get the ferry. Well, you can get the ferry to Olympic Park and walk. Well, you have to go there and visit, I think. Yeah. You go check out these studios. That's fantastic. Hey, Wade, thanks so much for coming in. And you've got a whole bunch of projects um, lined up, which we'll put on our Facebook page. Thank you for joining us. And we're going to get back to our curated tracks. This is Circumstance by Holy Balm, which is a Zanzibar Chanel remix. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
the sweet sounds of Emma Ramsey's voice. Um, That was Circumstance by Holly Balm and you're listening to Canvas Art and Ideas on FBI Radio. In the studio, we have an artist who works with walking robots and 3D optical illusions as well as experimental collections of information in zines and comics. Simon Yates, welcome to the studio. Thanks, Nat. Thanks. Thanks, guys. So, Simon, you recently made a model that was in a show at Sydenham 55, a gallery in Sydenham, and it was a model of the old Comic Kingdom store on Liverpool Street in, in the CBD in, uh-huh. in Sydney, um, which is one of my one of my favourite shops. I loved Ren and Stimpy, so I was in, I was in comic book stores <laughs> oh. a lot. Did that all shape you, that culture of that comic? Why did you make a model of, of the comic oh. store? Well, um... Well, that well that model is for was for a show that like I, I kind of curate I actually kind of curated a show oh. so that's like the first time I ever curated an exhibition and um, uh, it, I I kind of started off with the idea of of tying together a number of different themes that were in the show by including that work which was like kind of sequential art like there was an artist in the show um, Waratale whose work is three hundred and sixty. It was like a leap year pictures that she drew on every day over a year. And uh, um, another of the artists' work, um, Tim Mangaro's work, was, is a walk around Pendle Hill, a zine that he kind of constructed oh, from, from not from visiting this English village, but from, from, from uh, looking at it, go, you know, going on a journey like through Google Maps and Google Earth ah. and that. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, actually. So... Um, but yeah, so this work kind of tied those themes together of sort of something like sequential or zine-like about comics. Mm, and mm. this shop, like, is yeah, like I think they, David, you know that shop. It's like mm. it's like an incredible archive of all this information. It's been there for. I think thirty years or something, and it's been closing down for ten years. Is it closing <laughs> yeah, down yet? Is it yeah, it's been. Sale. It is literally closing down and like forever. And people are like, oh, that oh, shop man. was great, but it's like it's still, the guys are still there. They're like, it's got a seventy percent sale on. They have the most. They still have cool stuff. Like, please, yeah. if you can get down there and s- support this amazing place. But like about a year ago, like they, when they started closing down, I was like. 
oh, um, you know, this is going to be change. It's going to be a big thing. I'm going to miss it. Like I missed, uh, there was an, a, a previous comic book shop, um, Land Beyond Beyond, around the corner, and oh, that yes. closed down. Like and I think about down. it all the time. Mm. Yeah, like in the early 2000s. And uh, that was just, that was, that was, that was, that was, an, and I just thought, I can't go through that again. I, I asked the guys if it would be all right. Um, uh, Clayton, who's the um, sort of manager of the shop, if it would be all right if I photo- photographed the shop and built a, a kind of a model of it. And uh, so that's what you see in the, or what was in the exhibition anyway. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, just amazing. It's because it's like a, um, like I kind of I love sh- shops. I love mm. shop shopping, sort of. Like I, lo- <laughs> I I work in I work in an op shop. I work in um like a uh, it's like Anglican op shop in Marrickville, like oh. on Mondays. And um you know like my boss is like this amazing creative person. And like I kind of like look at the displays that she does as like like I'm just kind of blown away. They're like artwork in themselves like when she's like sucking onto my boss but like, but <laughs> like you know no but like right. literally but like it, it, so in a way like the shops and, and other environments any environment like a supermarket or, or a, like a library or something like okay, that right. I mean it's like this distribution of, of information all around the pl- and like to me that's kind of like what sculpture is like mm. uh, it's like information in space and uh, you know um so, so yeah, creating the model is like I feel like it was creating a way to like think about those things in that that spatial arrangement of all these things that trigger ideas and as you look as you as you as you can can think about that space, yeah. And today's show is a little bit like a reunion, a Maury Gallery reunion. We've got Tony Warburton, who's oh. about to step in. Um, I remember Maury Gallery back in the day. It was on Day Street near Darling yeah. Harbour, and it was run by Stephen Maury. And it really, I think it was interesting because it seemed to put artists on on a good on a good path. I thought, like it, it was it was a less kind of commercially driven, and I th- it really formed me as an artist. And I remember um, encountering your work. Uh, back in the Maury Gallery days, and I think I've even still got a work where you had like a series of numbers, and you could buy that number. It was like a sculpture with a number on it, and then yeah. once you bought it, you could open it up and see what was inside. And there were all mine had clippings all about a se- about cemeteries. Yeah, and yeah, I think yeah, yeah. I, re- I, I, you remember, I remember. I think it was number eleven. Yeah, it was like um, <laughs> it was like it was about like the weather conditions. At um that at, at Mozart's funeral actually it That's was from this right. like weird music book and it just had like yeah. weird musical essays and that was one that was one of them and, and I was I was working on a on a cemetery project at the mo- at the time called Rookwood Cemetery yeah uh, hidden a Rookwood Cemetery walk <laughs> yeah it was how kind of, I get myself yeah, into Mozart's these funeral, funeral. Yeah, yeah, but, but it was yeah, very <laughs> beautiful and poetic and so you you kind of gather all these clippings and then you bring them into your work yeah yeah and you. You recently made, well, you, a long time ago, about 10 years ago, you made a work called Brainscapes where you glued clippings on these kind of star-like uh, sculptures that seemed to, to float. What were you mind mapping at, in that oh, work? Oh, well, I mean, I mean, you can collect things and, like, I mean, from working in op shops and stuff, like, uh, that was it, and, and, and making zines, like, bringing things together and, and stuff and, 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 and seeing how they relate together, like, it's... Is um, that's definitely one aspect of of of, of, of what I'm re- really interested in. Um, uh, for the Brainscapes project, I mean, part of my artwork is is like trying to make experiments of things. Uh, like ex- ex- they're kind of like experiments. This was an experiment to to kind of um, uh, you know, like the idea of like in the future, like downloading your brain or something, mm-hmm. memory. And I, I just sort of thought, well, you know, like I'll draw that. I'll see what I, I'll draw this like kind of like a storyboard of like all the things I could remember, like kind of like a comic or something of all the things I could remember. So I did that, right? Mm-hmm. And which, you know, kind of made me think, well, actually, yeah, it's, it's yeah, it's not that really that much actually. That anyway, but like, and then I'll, <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, and then uh, and then and then I was sort of like, oh, you know, there's something left over. That I, like I haven't included. Like if I was gonna like try to make a model of, my, of what I think about, and so so I, I did this other project, which was like this painting where it was like 
um, you know, different sort of atmospheres or feelings or something like represent her just as sort of like reference points, kind of like a, um, like they call it like mem- memnonics or something, just like things that remind you of stuff, you know, not really the things themselves, but like, and, and then, and then, and then like I came to do this project and like, I kind of brought those two things together and it's like this, the star shapes are like, they fit together. They're like a nesting doll thing. Cause like I actually had to go to Melbourne originally at one point and I thought it would be easier to take it down there. But then like, so every different one sort of became like mathematically became, um, you know, one particular sort of idea and, and memories associated with feelings, you know, like those works came together that way, yep. And recently the Museum of Contemporary Art had their 10-year anniversary of Primavera, which you were in, and they asked you to recreate 25 years. 25 years, sorry. Yeah, yeah you're right. Oh. Um, what was it like returning 10 years ago to... to what, returning to work that you made 10 years ago yeah did you have the same sort of clippings did you have to photocopy them it or did you start like, again or? i was like yeah because the, they <laughs> took me down to look at the artwork and it was like oh man i got we made it out of sticky tape and cardboard and it was like a bit of a yeah i think i don't know i i just had to i just said look yeah, so I had to rebake it basically because um, because I had it, and then it was very interesting because I had to uh, think about archival materials in a way that I hadn't really thought of before, and then like it was also like kind of coming to terms with this work that I made quite a while ago, and I had a few ideas about maybe changing it, but like I sort of got as I went along, I sort of started to accept it again mm. and make. <laughs> I kind of started to like it a bit more than what I thought I would and and it ended up being pretty much the same as what it was but yeah it was just brilliant and um and that there was they were really fantastic and Megan Robson who was like helped bring it back from and 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 do the and 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 uh, redo the work and it was and it was just yeah it was a, it was a really great experience yeah and you're, you've also got a really interesting series called The Robot Who Liked Me. Can you tell us what that Ooh. series is? Um, looked like me. Looked like me. Yeah. I mean, it probably I could have liked me. <laughs> 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 it, oh. I think, it, yeah, well, it liked some people because, like, it was, they're like robots. Yeah, and they would follow, they would follow a bit like, yeah, like, I, they were just like these robots thingies that I made. They're like um, made out of like um, fishing rods and and tissue paper, so they're very light. And then they have like um, a sort of internal motors to make the, them walk. And it's like uh, and they're held up by helium balloons, and they operate by remote control. And yeah, and and they're not particularly computer controlled or anything. They just sort of wander around when you use the remote control. But they would. They would follow after people. And I have memories of them, one being a, a postie, maybe Robin Hood as well. Are these different facets of you or also jobs you've undertaken to support yourself as an artist? Yeah. Well, I used to be a postman, yeah. I thought you were, yeah. And, um, uh, yeah, they were just different versions of me over time, I guess. You know, like you go through different phases. So that was interesting. And then, and then, because they were all on the same remote control thing, they'd all go in different directions, which is kind of like different aspects, I guess, of a personality or something going in different directions. I've got to ask about something we were talking about before. What were the weather conditions like at Mozart's funeral? Oh, <laughs> I, I don't know, because I think they just kind of gl- glamorised it a little bit. Like, it might have been cold and rainy, but it was like, um, I, like they, what did they make it out? Like, it was like a... Uh, thunderstorm and lightning or something like really interesting. I'm going to go home and find the work and and have a read. Yeah, it was a weird one. Yeah, like just popped out of it. It's like just a musical something like essay book or something for actual musician people. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. Like they had... They had like five different types of weather or something. Oh, really? Yeah, it wasn't like just one or two. Yeah, it was was weird yeah i don't know i hope my funeral's like that <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> well you know the the other thing i want to ask i've seen a, a recent show of yours at 55 Sydney, or relatively recent in the last few years where you're using illusion a lot in the work 
and oh, I yeah. lose my mind when I love that stuff. Like I, I look up magicians and illusionists on YouTube all the time. Like that's a good day spent for me. Um, what type of research goes into your into a project like that? Yeah, look, I mean, illusions and magic tricks are like really like I love to look at those things too. Yeah, that's just um, uh, like a really big. Yeah, like uh, I, I made artworks that are like uh, in, about invisibility and that sort of thing, and. Um, uh, you know, you only have to look at that's a, like a, that's a good place to look for for information, ideas about artworks and um, and and, 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 and uh, through magic tricks and and that sort of stuff and, and like practical effects that that that, that 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 magicians can can like it's amazing some of the stuff that you know they they come up with like weird cabinets and like tricks and and stuff with uh, mirrors. I like I do a lot of things that are to do with like um like uh, uh, magnifying lenses and that sort of thing to create create like what looks like a, a cloaking device or invisibility effect or something. Yeah, just another thing. But yeah. Oh, thank you, Simon. I think we've run out of yeah, time. Yeah, I know. Sorry. But no, no, no. no this has been wonderful. We, keep, you. we could keep talking. But yeah. um, what have you got coming up next? Oh, okay. Well, look, I was actually in the Blue Mountains yesterday, and um, like uh, with a th- project I did with the um the comic shop um like uh, i was at the um there's a, a place up there it's the pa- um paragon cafe yes and Isn't uh, it beautiful? it's so beautiful but like i just found out the other day um that they're in a bit of trouble and they might close down next year oh, no. and they don't not know what oh, they're gonna no. whether it's going that it's they don't know how about how yes. it's going to if it's just going to close down if there's any what the future is it's really uncertain um, I, I was like talking to the ma- um, uh, Robin, who is the who has the lease on, on the building now, and she's like trying to. Do you know how we can support the? I I think there's like a friends of the Paragon okay. on the internet. It would be absolutely right. like if you are interested and you would be interested in investigating that. I'm sure that would be a, like just fa- fantastic um, to find out more information. But I I mean like I think I'll. I'll I was yeah asking if I could build another m- model, model of, rela- so of that. Their theatre yeah. is—they've got a theatre at the back, and it's really beautiful. It's that's right. It's, they, it's not just the front world. of the shop. Like they there's go and other, have a sticky beak ex- and visit. Yeah, it's wow. extraordinary, just out of this world. and it yeah. would be a real shame if if mm. it doesn't survive somehow. Yep. Hey Simon, thank you so much. Um, we're going to get Thanks. back to our curated tracks. This is Turbulence by Orion. Yeah. 
That was Turbulence uh, by Orion, and you're listening to FBI 94.5. This is Canvas Art and Ideas with Absy Randy in the cap. It's so good to it's it's so good to be able to say that again, isn't it? <laughs> oh, it is the three of us here together. Um, in the studio this morning, we have uh, one of Australia's most influential um, ceramicists. This is Tony Warburton. It's real real bloody pleasure to have you in the studio this morning. Good morning, Tony. Good morning, thank yeah, you. Yeah, I'm very excited that you're on the show today, Tony. Your ceramics, when you encountered them, seem to have come from a had another life. They seem to have been taken from somewhere living and plonked in into the gallery. Um, can you give us some insight or uh, your to your relationship okay. to clay? Yeah. What does clay mean to you? It's a it's a lovely question, David. Um, and really wonderful to be asked a question by David, of whom I am a major fan. <laughs> oh, that's, well, Tony, you've <laughs> been very influential. and performances and so forth. Thank you. So, let me think. <laughs> the works are as much as possible um, about looking, about the experience of looking. And so, in a way, I've got this kind of... Because they're about things in the natural world that have inspired me and they're so beautiful you can't really represent them, but perhaps you can represent something about what it's like when you have the excitement of seeing those things. And so I kind of hope that by breaking up the surface texture and kind of breaking up the patterns and shifting the repeats and distorting the forms, that there's a kind of... um, energy that's maybe a little bit confusing but intriguing that might send people back to or you know the origin of what what's perhaps inspired the work and I I'm interested in peripheral vision and the uncanny and how out of the corner of your eye if you really open up your gaze you can sometimes see something that's really you know not quite what it would be when you look straight at it and there you can feel a presence and it might when you look at it it might just be a post but you think it's a person because it's about the same size or mm. you know I remember when I was walking home from school once staring at a piece of scrunched up eyes staring at a pixie dancing on the ground and as I got staring and staring because I was so intrigued at this illusion and then the closer I got it was just a scrunched up chip packet you know (laughs) and it was just so fantastic you know and once on holidays with my mother at night in this old fisherman shack looking Mm. at a light coming in through a crack in the tin and I'd been reading all these books on UFOs and saying to my mother, there's one out there. There's a UFO. I can't. I'm too scared to go out. I have a vague memory of that. Oh, my God, you know. But my mother, who's very pragmatic, went over to the wall and picked off a bit of silver Christmas tinsel. Oh, oh wow. Yes. I remember you talking to me once about that that little fisherman's cabin. Did that burned down and then you made work from the ashes or was that another it did yeah it did. i remember that and it, i remember seeing the work and you sort of felt the grief when looking at these i made a piece called pieces. picture window because we had it was an old shack and my father used to get windows and put them in and stuff mm. and after the bushfire all that was left of the window was this long beautiful molten piece of aluminium right wow. and then the ceramics in all the cupboards had changed colour. We had this bright green Czechoslovakian coffee set and it had changed to this beautiful muted turquoise with, you know, ash encrustation melted on it. Mm. And things like a glass had fallen from a top cupboard down into a tin can that would have been, you know, in a cupboard below. It was this weird kind of spatial molten stacking thing that happened in the fire. Anyway, the picture window piece I just I showed at um, Peloton. Yeah. Um, it was just a ledge and it had the changed cups and the molten glass and the bit of whatever. And, I, yeah, I just um, somehow it was an elegiac piece to mm. that. It's etched in my memory. Place. So you're influenced by fire, but you're also influenced by water and mm. um, sea life. Yes, I, I know very that much. you were making some extraordinary bowls that that had barnacles. Well, they were ceramic barnacles, okay. and they yeah. were hand painted. 
Um, what what draws you to um, to these motifs of water and well, sea I think, life? Well, I think it's pretty much, you know, the childhood formative experiences that I had. My father was obsessed with the water and boating and fishing. And we, he and my mother, got some land on Middle Harbour, a very slopey block, and built a boat shed down at the bottom of it. And my brother and I and my mother and father basically lived in a one-room boat shed until I was about six. So it was right over the water. You could hear the water underneath it all the time. We had to learn to swim when we were really young. There are oysters everywhere. So you learned about the tides and the movement of the tides and how when the tide was out, everything looked kind of dry and different. And when the tide was in, you were looking down through water and everything looked kind of magical and shiny and... I think maybe those kind... And then the shack down the south coast, there were rock mm. platforms you could walk over and you could look into the pools and the, the colours were very beautiful, more like Persian carpet colours where they're dyed with, um, you know, rose matter and those uh, muted colours, not like the tropical colours you associate with the northern reefs. And so for some reason... That palette resonated with me. It sometimes, you know, when you're doing art, you you find you find yourself outside yourself, and then you try to do something with that. So that was, I suppose, those two um, situations just meant that I looked and looked for years and thought it was all too beautiful, and how could I do it? And then I found the work of a Japanese artist in a book in Manly Library, a guy called Ogata Kenzan, and my father had given me the Potter's Book for my 14th birthday because my mother was big on China, my grandmother was big on China painting. Anyway, I saw these paintings on ceramic by Kenzan, and they just looked like so alive and so transient. They were almost like the way a photograph can capture a moment of light. And I somehow got an insight that you could be very, you didn't have to be very solid and formal and stiff with ceramics, even though it ended up like that, that all the processes leading up to the kiln are soft and malleable mm. and fluid. And and the paint looks like it hasn't yet dried. Yeah. It's still in that process. You can do that with the glaze. So, so those, I guess those were kind of all watery things that connected, salt watery things. And your work is... is is seated in quite a political space as well. I remember well recently reading your essay, Cool a uh, Coal, Clay, Water, Wood. It's quite fascinating. We talk about various environment concerns that, and you mentioned one of them was uh, 180 tonnes of concrete that had been piped into the grout, into grout the, the cracked cliff rocks caused by mining um, mm. in the... In, in in Mount Sugarloaf near near Newcastle, That's right. and it flowed underground um, via the the waterfalls, and then solidified like lava mm. rock, mm. Um, and it's like four hundred meters of it. Why don't we know about this? Do you think? Wow, well, you know, um, it's a fantastic question, and it's a really good question about that one asks oneself constantly about making art about environmental issues, and in a way. I think I've thought about it a lot because I made a lot of work about... Um, well, one of the first pieces I showed at Moray Gallery was called Bass Strait Crude on Coastal Vessel. It was a big pot covered with plastic rubbish with a little bottle of crude oil tied on the side. And people were really critical about me showing that work. But I make the work to figure things out for myself... It would be amazing if I could come up with a, or any artist can come up with a powerful, transformative, poetic image that would help people change their attitudes about the environment. We live in hope for that, but at least to position myself and understand things, making art is kind of how I do that, how I orientate to the world. So I found out about that through a photograph published in the newspaper, and I had to pay to use that photograph as an illustration in my article. I had to, you know, just pay the photographer's rights to the... It was franchised from the Herald, I think. 
Um, but yes, uh, cold clay water wood was a kind of um, self-examination about the fact that when you make ceramics, you're caught up with mining, you're caught up with all the materials and minerals associated with mining, you're caught up with fuel use, um, electric kilns. Is there an, a sort of ethical way to sort of source um Clay, or is there? I, I think we can um, look at getting it as local as locally as we can. I mean, an artist like Steve Harrison, who lives at Mittagong, only uses his own um, found and fossicked materials from within a fifty-mile radius of where he lives. Wow! And he did his whole PhD on that. He's got a show coming up at Waters next week. Yeah. Um, for myself, I decided I'm living in the city. I could fire with wood, but I need to do that in the country. When I was in India, I fired with wood. So I buy green electricity mm-hmm. to pay for my firings. And I try to be very economical with recycling my clay and very careful with all my materials. But when I did that research, I realised, you know, Stoke-on-Trent in England, there's coal, there's clay, there's canals for transport – and there's, you know, there was wood for firing before people started using coal. And so there's this kind of nexus of of working. Um, and I wanted to look a lot more at coal mining and the questions around that because I first started inquiring about that when I, well, I spent quite a lot of time in India in the late 80s and it really changed my life. I mean, you know, you say these things, but it really did. <laughs> um, because I learned... I was studying from traditional potters. I learned so many fantastic ways of working with earthenware from traditional artisans who would show you things. But I also learned about how that culture holds water sacred. And, of course, in our culture, the Aboriginal formulation of fresh water, salt water, is such a fantastic formulation of where people live and what they're responsible for and you know, how they represent that. So this thing about wherever you went and there was a spring, there would be a shrine in India. And in Australia, you know, wherever there's a soak, you know, people would leave maybe a water scoop buried or some way that you could actually, you know, open that soak up after it had been accessed before the horrible colonial cattle industry kind of wrecked all that. But a friend of mine... um, who I met through my husband working at the Botanic Gardens, told us about this terrible incident of peat mining at Windjacarabi Shire. And it was mined for golf courses in China. And there'd been a campaign of local residents for 10 years to get it stopped. But it was being mined under a mining lease. So there's a lot of problems in my view about how mining leases are granted now in Australia when we have mega industrially engineered equipment that takes out so much more and does so much more damage than the romantic idea of the you know the coal miner kind of bravely Yeah there's no shovel away. and picks anymore. <laughs> no, there are no shovel and picks anymore. In fact there are robots driven mega machines underground but with the Windjacarabie swamp piece I made a I was so moved by how upset these scientists were who'd been studying the giant dragonfly there that I made a work um, called catchment and it was I worked with glass blowers to make it and it was about the process of water in the ground so it was like water in the sand coming up through. It was, the, the metaphor was like a lagoon or a swamp and then it went right up to the colours of morning sunlight coming onto the surface of the water and it was a big installation that I did um, at Moyers a long time ago now. It's in the Art Gallery of Western Australia which was oh. really fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that was my sort of beginning to engage with fresh water and and try to look at those issues as well as salt water and the beaker became the kind of leitmotif for that. The whole installation was just a series of beakers, handheld beakers, that because I wanted to talk about water in the land and water in the body and potable water and how important 
and precious that is. Yeah. Tony, it's been an um, amazing pleasure to have you in the studio this morning. I just I wanted to say about two years ago, I think, I got to mm-hmm. experience your um, studio in your home in Marrickville and it was incredible. And I spoke to you at the time around the rise and rise of ceramic art and how so it's it's so on trend, you know, like so many people are like, oh, actually, you might dip into ceramics. Um, what do you think about uh, sort of uh, the sort of, yeah, the contemporary um, version of, um, yeah, of, of ceramics today and the way in which it's sort of perhaps not traditional um, forms, it's more of a kind of dip into some sort of grotesque kind of representation or or mm. or, or or leaving behind uh, the idea of, of how you would traditionally make mm. ceramic art? I, I think it's a fantastic question. And, um, you know, I, I love the grotesque and I love outsider art. And when I used to teach in high schools, I used to just be astonished by the stuff that the kids would make. And I used to firework for Steve Morey that it w- that he made with volunteer patients out at Gladesville, and you'd just be blown away by all of that. I think that um, with the so many young people that I know learn how to do stuff by watching videos on YouTube, and I learned by going and being an apprentice in a pottery because I wanted to learn to throw pots, and I wanted that embodied knowledge. And I wanted to be able to paint on the pots that I throw. But in the end, I make most things by hand because I like that kind of gestural balancing act. Um, So I think that any cultural activity that gets expanded, that really entrances people and involves people, is so incredibly important. And I think the fact that there's that transformative thing with ceramics that really fascinates people, it links up to science, it links up to expression, it's accessible for people now. Um, Curators like Glenn Barclay have been wonderful in terms of his fantastic enthusiasm. But I think that a groundswell of really solid very, very good ceramic artists operating out of Sydney, people like Jenny Orchard, people like Patsy Healy in Canberra, people who've really been making, you know, ironic work like Mike, people like Michael Keery, um, people of sort of my colleagues that we, you know, we did lots of experimental shows, people like Rod Bamford, who was headhunted by the Royal College from Kofa and is now running ceramics and design programs in London. Um, All of these people had a very open, free, experimental approach to how they worked with students and how they kind of shared the medium. The whole notion of the secret glaze and all of that wasn't really... um, The esoteric aspects of it, um, I suppose, they're always a fantastic aspect of any art form or any medium because everyone's got their own secret dialogue with their material. But I, I think it's a very positive and exciting time. The Shepparton um, Ceramic Award that Glenn was in recently, um, it really showcases ceramics in a fantastic way. So, And in this, the harsh light of Australia, you can put it near the window and it won't fade. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Tony. We, we've well and truly run out of time. We've gone over. It's been such oh, a pleasure. So sorry. No, 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 it's been such a pleasure speaking with you and, and hearing these stories. We're gonna, gonna yeah, we're gonna get back to our curated tracks. This is the Donny Club mix by the It. <laughs> She left me for another man. All the stars upon her hand. As she flew to Japan. I can quite understand. She left me for another man. Killed all my best made plans. I gave her diamond rings. As principles and everything. I can't quite understand 
You are listening to FBI 94.5. This is Canvas Art and Ideas. Behind me is Donny Club mixed by The It. Hey, Abdul, what's on this week? Oh, we've got Australiana Island Queens on August 14th, premiere screening at Red Rattler. August 17th, we've got Heidi Yardley at the Art House Gallery. And August 18th, we've got Del Lamanta and Vicky at 55 Sydenham. Thank you for listening us, listening to, <laughs> listening to us and our guests. Canvas is brought to you by a team of artists, Abdul Abdullah, David Capra, Nat Randall, Aurora Scott, and Eilish Fitzpatrick, who's been working with us over the last few weeks. Thank you, Eilish. Thank you. And uh, we have absolutely run over time today. Sorry. Um, and <laughs> please stay tuned. Do not turn the dial. You're going to be listening to Elise uh, Constable. Uh, we're going to play our next curated track by Anna John. This is... Running out of time <laughs> by the Rexy. podcast is produced by FBI Radio in Sydney. Find more at fbiradio.com slash podcasts.